This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Sean Brun, the Social Security Administration's Deputy CIO for IT Modernization. Sean, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jason. Good to speak with you. Social Security Administration is doing so much good work, but we're talking about actually a success story to start us off today, the Disability Case Processing System. Now, Sean, you probably remember this. I wrote about this back in 2017, and I'll have to admit, I'm going to be a little uh, egotistical here, Sean. It was one of my favorite headlines I've ever written. SSA turns case processing system from dud to stud in 14 months. It was a really great IT use case study, and, and you guys are really pushing forward with the disability case processing system. So maybe give me a sense, what's the current status of it? And I understand there's a national rollout after a series of successful tests. Yeah, thank you, Jason. I, I like that headline as well. Our uh, DCPS system, Disability Case Processing System 2, is in production, as you noted. It's used by state disability determination systems, services. As a reminder, um, those state agencies make medical decisions on behalf of SSA for uh, disability insurance claims. So we've developed that system using agile software development practices, which means that uh, over time, we've incrementally used user input to develop new functionality. We release more functionality to a production environment every month. Well, you know, let's go back to your history that you mentioned. Some of our early adopters started to come onto the system in December 2016, continue to roll out to more and more users with each release. And uh, at present, 43 of the 52 disability determination services uh, use this application in production to process disability claims and redeterminations. And in addition to increasing the you know, number of states that, that use the software. Uh, we've in, increased the number of users and, as I mentioned, the functionality. The functionality that is added is really driven by user input from those that are actually processing work in the system, which has been a winning formula for us. And due to that, uh, the, the user feedback is pretty positive. And based on the success of the systems and the many operational and fiscal benefits for our work processing, SSA Commissioner Saul made the decision on July 14th that DCPS2 will be the single national case processing system used by all DDSs to adjudicate SSA disability claims. Moving forward, we'll continue to deploy DCPS2 to the remaining states on a rolling basis. That's our current status, Jason. It just goes to show you that, you know, a little bit of success can really go a long way. And I think that one of the things that we should just take a half a step back on is this was one of those IT systems that SSA really struggled to modernize. I, I, I know my story went back to 2011, looking at a big contract that really just didn't move forward fast enough or successfully. But this goes back, this is a COBOL system. This used to be a COBOL system. This used to have green screens. Uh, and, and this is really, as I said, a great success story. Walk me through a little bit of how it works today. What, what you know, the user testing piece, give me a better sense of how you're able to get from you know, COBOL, green screens, modernization struggles to the success? 
I agree with you. This is true modernization. We've uh, retired technical debt, and in doing so, we've also added new business functionality. And um, I think some of the keys for us were to um, adopt both agile software development methodologies, but also um, the, the DevSecOps processes to develop, secure, and move code to an operational environment in a repeatable process that uses automation to actually deploy the code. Rather than those manual code reviews, we do automated testing. We secure things in the application as we build it, uh, rather than tacking on security at the end. Uh, and these have been appreciated by our users, but also allowed us to iterate uh, new functionality to production on a more rapid basis. So, you know, anytime you put software into a user's hands, they, they want more and better. And uh, the combination of our agile life cycle, which I mentioned, uh, allows us to, to produce software changes on a month-to-month -month basis. And the work on the DevSecOps pipeline has really helped to change how we operate, uh, operate as an IT organization and operate in serving the public to adjudicate disability claims. The software provides efficiency for our uh, technicians who process the work. We have put in place user groups that provide uh, structured and unstructured feedback. So, you know, we do the typical, hey, we put that software out, uh, have a conference call, and, and, and what'd you think? Uh, we also have an ongoing mechanism for users to send uh, unsolicited uh, feedback of ideas for new features, et cetera, that we can then put into the backlog for uh, you know, future development. So each, each release, we are now in the cadence of adding some new capability, adding some more users, and you know, adding some functionality that the users themselves have identified. So those were the keys to you know, really moving forward on DCPS2 and, as you noted, addressing some of those earlier challenges we, we faced. I really appreciate the fact you kind of talk about the cadence of monthly releases. I, I also think that this idea of both structured feedback, hey, we're going to have a focus group or, or have a you know, monthly, weekly, whatever it is, bringing the users together, but also the unstructured feedback. How has that worked? Meaning, are you getting so many ideas, so many options that are, some are more usable, some are less usable, but how has the unstructured feedback worked? Because I think that's one of those pieces that a lot of CIOs and such would say, oh, I don't know if I want all this. You know, there's, there is such thing as maybe too much good ideas. Yeah, fair enough, Jason. We have a mature product team that includes business analysts, IT developers, as well as uh, the, those folks that run the automated testing that I mentioned, and, you know, security architects. We have a, a cross-component representation of, of skills on that team, but the business users are at the table, and it's that diverse team that runs the product that helps to groom the backlog of features and functions. What we look at on a consistent basis is how much value does this deliver to the uh, end user? Does the technician become more efficient in their work? Do they become more accurate? 
uh, is this a feature that all users, 100% of the universe, could benefit from? Or is this targeted to only some cases or some users? So those are the general criteria that we use. We do the grooming of our backlog of future work on an ongoing basis. So as new ideas come in, they're slotted in the backlog relative to their value to the end user, their technical feasibility, and their alignment with our planned work. Obviously, th- these are processes that have matured over time. But you know, over the last couple of years, we've gotten pretty good at distilling the user feedback. And by the way, there's also input from our, our IT team technical enhancements that have to be scheduled for deployment, maybe some security upgrades that have to be scheduled for deployment. They all go into the backlog for grooming. And what we try to do is scope those incremental releases that were in each release, adding the most value as possible, but also that they're sized, the, the software deployments, sized that, you know, like features are, are going in together where possible. Uh, and as I said, that's a that's a decision that's made on an ongoing basis, day to day, week to week, by our product team. And in our case, uh, Jason, it's the product manager who is the the primary business representative that you know is the you know driving force on the final prioritization and what gets scoped for a, a product increment. Have you gotten any ideas that just kind of knocked your socks off? Have you gotten anything from the unstructured feedback that said, oh, we never thought of that? The users really identify practical things that when we hear them, more intuitive. If you're doing the work on an ongoing basis in several cases per week or multiple cases per day, you really look at, you know, how how can I make this work the best? the most efficient. Uh, and we, we always get good suggestions from users. Uh, and the question then becomes, how do you rank those good su- suggestions to get the best ones up front? But yes, uh, the, the user community has been fantastic in suggesting uh, new features and, and, and capabilities and uh, in perfecting uh, or optimizing those things that the software already does. One of the other things about this approach is the idea of culture change that happened inside SSA. This idea that you should do things one way, the waterfall technique. And and I know that uh, DCPS was one of the first, if not the first, really successful applications of of agile development methodology and DevSecOps. How hard was that of a change, you know, and, and did it take the DCPS success in many ways to really add some momentum to this move to DevSecOps Agile? Uh, Jason, I would say that's a, an accurate assessment. Um, I think there was a tremendous commitment across the agency, whether it was the end user commit, community or the IT developers uh, or even our, our, our policy and legal folks. There was a tremendous interest in making things better. So that that was a, a unifying force to to build our culture Uh, of agile software delivery around. The trick was getting everybody together on an ongoing basis. And and that seems intuitive, I think, as I say it out loud, but but the the normal process before DCPS2 was 
hey, IT, here's all our requirements. Go make that thing and send it back to us You know when it's done. Uh, and DCPS2 was our first large-scale agile development project. And what we learned is having some of the business and IT folks co-located physically, working together day in, day out, having the ability for a user to say, hey, it'd be really cool if the software did this, and the programmer sitting next to them say, well, you know, does this do it? And then being able to see uh, a, a preliminary version, that type of back and forth uh, as you know, user stories are coded into the application is very valuable. It does require more substantial commitment from the uh, business users to be there all along each step of the journey. It does require uh, collaborative work processes and collaborative technology so that in process, as things are adjusted, they can be viewed and adjusted or accepted as they are coded rather than end of line. And the other thing is uh, we had to grow our skill set. You know, some of the automated tools that I've referenced, uh, some of the tools we use to enforce and implement the uh, DevSecOps pipeline uh, were really new to us. So we had to hunker down and learn about them. We had to make sure that they were um, you know, configured properly for, for our personnel and that we were using them effectively. And that, that did, that learning curve did take a little bit of time, but you know, it, it's accelerated when you know, everybody has a shared objective and when people are sitting side by side day to day and figuring out the solutions together. Not only the solutions for the you know, functionality in the software, a solution to how to make the development process more effective, more efficient for the end purpose of, of getting you know, finished software in the end user's hands better, faster, cheaper. Uh, so I think that you know, what we have found, Jason, is that while DCPS2 was our first large-scale agile development effort, we've been able to replicate many of those practices and share the knowledge about those new uh, software development collaboration tools across our product teams so that in many respects, DCPS2 was a pathfinder for us. It went down the, you know, the journey first and set up some good practices that we've been able to replicate across multiple teams. And you know, we're using that as we execute our IT modernization program. All right, Sean, you teed me up for the next segment. So let's take a quick break and come back. We'll talk about that IT modernization plan. My guest today is Sean Brune, the Deputy CIO for IT Modernization at the Social Security Administration. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Sean Brune, the Deputy CIO for IT Modernization at the Social Security Administration. Before break, we were talking about the Disability Case Processing System, or DCPS2, and how you mentioned it was kind of a pathfinder in many regards for Social Security to really move to a DevSecOps Agile methodology approach to software development. Let's broaden this discussion a little bit and say, how how did you use those lessons learned from DCPS2 to apply to other applications, other systems as you modernize them? Because as you well know probably better than anyone, uh, SSA has a lot to modernize. That's true, Jason, and I think we're making uh, tremendous progress. We have a comprehensive IT modernization plan, first published in in October of 2017, but just recently updated over the summer. And um, we baked into that plan 
uh, a lot of the lessons learned on DCPS2. Some of those are the joint sponsorship by business users and IT developers to have them uh, working together in parallel each step of the way in the planning, in the coding, in the testing, in the deployment, in the operation of the software. So the, the life cycle for that software doesn't end when it gets to the uh, production environment. As soon as it gets to the production environment, users interact with it, you know, we, we learn things and we gotta put that learning back into the uh, life cycle uh, and you know, correct uh, known errors as promptly as possible. But some of the specific things we did was as we expanded our uh, focus to overall IT modernization, we identified our, our core mission functions and built expertise in modern application development around those core mission functions. Uh, we trained uh, more agile scrum masters. Uh, we uh, built uh, institutional practices around product management, uh, which is different than project management. Uh, you know, our projects have a dedicated focus. Let's start here, let's end there, uh, done. Product management is really where do we want this product to serve the business going forward? And it may take us more than a few projects to get there, but the projects are going to be sequenced to have cumulative value and they're going to be user focused as opposed to IT driven. And so those things we've trained and developed skill sets on. We've also broadened the use of those tools that I talked about. And those are uh, automation packages that for the most part we've procured to support our modern development environment, our security authorization process, our, our operations from moving from a dev environment to a production environment, that rather than taking manual action each step of the way, we can automate those handoffs and accelerate our approval process with high confidence that we're not introducing any risk or vulnerabilities into the software uh, delivery. Uh, and so those modern tools have helped us, modern practices of you know, product management and agile scrum. By the way, we, we, we use a combination of agile scrum and Kanban still do for some of our uh, uh, mainframe efforts, use uh, waterfall development. We have actually developed um, a uh, decision rubric around what methodology software de development is best suited for an effort. And we you know, make affirmative decisions about that at the outset in planning with business rather than you know, back into, oh, well, let's uh, just throw an agile team at that. We, we look at our work, again, related to our core mission functions. We divide that work up around our agile teams, but we look to the product managers to say, hey, you know, this one, we really need a little bit more analysis. Let's, uh, you know, put that off onto a Kanban and, and really identify what the various pieces and parts are. And then, you know, we can also utilize where necessary our prior methodology for waterfall development. So those are really the lessons learned from the Pathfinder. I think that you know the greatest advantage we've had of doing it once is that we can tell everybody, hey, um, it does work uh, if, if we use these tools and follow these processes and work together collaboratively, business and IT, each day, day in, day out. We can you know, iterate 
code to production faster that better meets the user needs. They're doing it and it can be replicated on other teams as well. I want to go back to something you mentioned as one of the lessons learned, which is the automation tools, but more specifically the security authorization. One of the big challenges with software and, and generally when you're updating as quickly as you are is this idea of, okay, well, does the software bring in any risk? What is that risk? Can we accept that risk? How are you guys dealing with that security automation piece? Cause that tends to, you know, get, getting the authority to operate tends to be very, very time consuming or difficult at times for a lot of agencies. So when we uh, have uh, updated our IT modernization plan, we identified cybersecurity as a foundational capability for all our work. It has to be secure in order for it to be used either by our technicians or by the public we serve uh, via our online uh, services at socialsecurity.gov. What we have done is we've made a, a security specialist, someone that directly reports to our chief information security officer, Rob Collins, as a member, full standing member for each of our uh, modernization domains. As I said, we line up our modernization work around our core mission functions. So these security liaisons, they're involved from the start. They you know, identify potential changes of security boundaries or other issues related to the cyber posture of a, a piece of software under development. And they bring those issues uh, and questions to the team early in the development cycle. And they help to build in the security as we code the application, as opposed to trying to retrofit the application after you know 90% of the application code has been developed, then it goes over to a security specialist to review. So the, um, the CISO staff have input to features and functions. They have input along the way of the development. They have visibility to our automated testing in line, and they can make recommendations about improving our automated testing so that we ensure not only that our technical requirements are being met as we build the code, but that our security requirements are being met as well. And, um, you know, we have a, a close integration between our, our business and IT teams that are doing the development and our information security team. Generally speaking, because I think every CISO, every every CIO that I speak with always says, you know, kind of very similar, we, we want to build it and not bolt on. But from an automation perspective, is this saving you all, you know, hours, days, months in time to, to move from, you know, uh, development to, to production when we're just focusing on security for a second? We are uh, tracking our progress on two things. One, do we get to, to the security authorization quicker? And two, does that enable us to get the code to production quicker? And we're making some uh, progress on both fronts. So I would say at present, we're you know making progress in terms of weeks of efficiency, time savings, getting code to production when we follow our, our modern processes. But we're not satisfied there. Uh, we think that we have potential to you know streamline our security reviews and add vigor, add robust review in line to get an even better outcome. So yes, we are seeing some improvements in our delivery times. The other piece of this, you know, aside from security is 
SSA has been known to do a lot of development in-house where you hire people, you train them, and, and then they stay for long periods of time. Is that still the case or has SSA relied more on contractor vendor support or what's the combination? I think that we are looking to make use of commercial off-the-shelf offerings where appropriate and to use best-in-breed technology to support our development efforts. So modern business process modeling software can provide out-of-the-box many of the you know workflow and workload control features that we would need specific to the Social Security claims process or the Social Security number issuance process, but they provide the basic functionality that we can build to um, uh, support our, our workflows. So uh, yes, we do have a commercial off-the-shelf, government off-the-shelf first approach, and we are trying to leverage those existing capabilities where possible through procurement. And you know what we find is that given the nature of our programs and uh, where we are with our legacy applications, it's really a challenge to say, well, that's, you know, legacy software does the entire process uh, from uh, uh, claim initiation all the way through development and adjudication. Let me just get something like that. Those pieces where don't really exist outside of Social Security, there's, you know, comparable in the insurance industry or in the healthcare industry, but they're all customized, optimized for those industries. What we do find is that commercial offerings can be a significant part of the solution uh, and that we can build around that with open source code or SSA generating code. And the combination really is a formula for success. That is some commercial software, some uh, SSA software, maybe some open source software in some cases in order to meet the, the user need. We're always looking to be uh, the most effective and efficient in our development of new capability. And if we can procure it and deploy it better than building it ourselves, we'll do that. We do have a, um, our enterprise architect has defined a target state technical architecture. And what we do is look to align our application development and our use of technology to that target state technical architecture. And I just want to take a quick break before I do that. But for the DevSecOps piece, is it mostly in-house people doing that work? Or again, a combination of the specific agile DevSecOps? Combination. And, and we do uh, rely on contractors with expertise in these areas to support uh, the maturation of our use of the tools and the maturation of our work processes. Excellent. I'm just trying to save you that email that you will get from about 800 vendors asking that question. <laughs> so uh, Sean, let's take a quick break and when we come back, we'll continue the discussion about IT modernization. My guest is Sean Brune, the Deputy Chief Information Officer for IT Modernization at the Social Security Administration. I'm Jason Miller and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Sean Brune, the Deputy CIO for IT Modernization at the Social Security Administration. Sean, before break, we were talking a little bit about DevSecOps, this idea of the, how DCPS2 is a pathfinder and how you guys would be able to expand on those lessons learned. 
Let's even broaden the conversation further and talk about IT modernization. DevSecOps is a huge piece to that puzzle, but you guys recently updated your IT modernization plan in June. Let's talk about those updates. How did you take those lessons learned of the last few years more generally about IT modernization and update the new strategy? What we've done is, uh, as a result of our progress over the last couple of years, took stock of where we are at present. I mentioned uh, earlier in our conversation that our plan was initially published in October 2017. It was a five-year program to modernize our enterprise and to really focus on taking our legacy applications and reducing our technical debt and increasing capability to to really meet our future needs. Um, So, you know, along those lines, uh, given that we've been working on modernization for a couple of years, what we did is we went out to our SSA employees to best in breed leaders in customer service and ask for input. Our focus is in IT modernization to improve the service we deliver to the public. Our mission here is to serve the Social Security beneficiaries and recipients, and we view technology as an enabler to do that. To the extent that our systems are cumbersome for our employees to use, it doesn't help us deliver the the best service. So we've addressed some of our technician-used software in the first two years, and really now we're, we're looking to accelerate our progress on what the public can do in using our software at socialsecurity.gov, self-service. Uh, and, you know, we, through crowdsourcing ideas and structured uh, interviews with other federal agencies that are modernizing, as I said, some best-in-breed customer service organizations outside of government, Uh, state and local entities, our technicians, and feedback we receive on an ongoing basis from the public via socialsecurity.gov and social media and, you know, surveys that we issue on a recurring basis. We used all that input to to shape our, our 2020 update. And as I indicated, what that input showed us was that the the public is eager and ready to uh, utilize automated tools online on our uh, national toll-free number to complete their business self-service and to find the information they need to make uh, informed choices about benefits and to apply and manage their benefits without you know, having to interact with a social security technician or to visit one of our field offices. So the update did include some input from our teams that are currently developing modern software, but it also included a lot of input from uh, the users and our customers. Let's talk about that customer piece because one of the things as I read through the modernization strategy that stood out to me was you guys really, really focused on the customer experience, the customer business side. You, you named, I think, a new office, a, a chief business officer. Uh, walk me through how that office works and then how it fits into the modernization effort more broadly. Our chief business officer, Kim Baldwin-Sparks, is my partner on the business side. Uh, you know, I, I'm the deputy chief information officer for modernization. I look at the IT part and Kim defines the business requirements. She represents all our business interests. Those 
customers that transact business online, on the phone, in a field office, in a hearing office, and that it was really our intent from the start to have business and IT working together. And the chief business officer really institutionalizes that type of relationship. Again, as I mentioned, all of our development is focused on uh, serving the public better. And, you know, that better can be uh, more timely service, more responsive service, more accurate service, all the above. And Kim and her team uh, in the chief business office helped define those requirements, helped prioritize the work across our core business functions and uh, serve as a a day-to-day partner to make sure that our modernization remains customer-focused and customer-driven. From your experience, how big of a difference is naming having this person as a CBO, which now we have to add another CXO title to our acronyms that we follow, but how how big of a difference is this for you at at the CIO side? Early in our conversation, you mentioned about the the cultural shift that uh, was uh, represented in our uh, progress on on DCPS2 and, and is carried forward on our modernization effort. Um, what this does is it really uh, breaks down any silos that exist between organizations within SSA and cements that, you know, hey, we're all working for the, the public we serve uh, and that, you know, everything we do has to help the public uh, and it's uh, it's really important to keep that voice at the table in every conversation. Now, you know, the chief business officer has a staff that, you know, represent her interest in our individual agile development teams. And she is a, a, a broker, a, you know, a partner that works with not only IT, but the chief financial officer, chief operations officer, to make sure that, um our IT modernization program is aligned with our agency uh, objective of serving the public better. So, you know, I think it, it's not just a, a title. It, it's a way of doing business day to day to keep the customer first. And I uh, appreciate the, the support that we have, not only from Kim uh, as the chief business officer, but from our agency leadership. Uh, Our senior leadership team is actively engaged in our modernization program. Uh, They provide input and feedback on our investment selection. They also provide support uh, with their staff expertise to make sure we're doing things proper and and right from the start, as opposed to, you know, um, developing things that are, you know, not focused on solving the customer's challenges and serving them better. Sean, let's take a quick break and when we come back, we'll continue the discussion about IT modernization. My guest is Sean Brun, the Deputy Chief Information Officer for IT Modernization at the Social Security Administration. I'm Jason Miller and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Sean Brun, the Deputy CIO for IT Modernization at the Social Security Administration. Another piece of the modernization strategy is the launch, if you will, of business domains. Now, there's five or six of those. There's benefits, communications, disabilities, there's cyber data infrastructure. Walk me through how this also fits into it and and helps you all kind of maybe focus on on priorities. Our work 
one modernization is organized around our core business functions and supported by three technical domains that we, that we view as foundational for everything we're doing. So those technical domains, I've mentioned cybersecurity, uh, which includes our efforts to um, provide secure authentication and authorization for the public who uses our online services. It all, the technical domains also include our IT infrastructure, which is inclusive of our telecommunications network, our, our storage and our data centers, and, and the data network, a data domain, which ensures that our databases are, are modern uh, relational databases that are enablers for data-driven decision and timely response to public needs. Our business domains really relate to, you know, our core mission. We have benefits, uh, which handles both Title II and Title 16 applications, claims for benefits, and adjudication of those benefits, and the post-entitlement work. We have disability. Uh, we have communications. We generate a lot of mail to go to the public about our programs, and we have a communications infrastructure that supports getting that uh, information out in a clear and efficient manner, whether it travels by U.S. Postal Service surface mail or uh, is delivered online to our MISO security account holders. We have core mission work that relates to enumeration, which is really the Social Security number card, uh, making sure that number cards are issued properly in accordance with the law, and that number verification is secure and, and appropriate. That we have an annual earnings process where employers and uh, payroll providers update Social Security with the earnings for every worker in, in the nation. And that is a large annual cyclical operation it has to be done timely and accurately, uh, starts you know, at the end of each calendar year and continues through the early spring. We've gotten to the point where the vast majority of our annual earnings reports are submitted electronically and are processed in a fully automated fashion. And then we've added a new domain, which is really an emphasis of our 2020 update, which is service delivery. And that includes all the service we provide to the public on the phone, online, and in office, and strategies to um, improve that service. So it doesn't matter whether the transaction is related to a Social Security number card or a claim or to an earnings record correction. Service delivery is the focus, and improving that service through automation is the core mission of our service delivery domain. Sean, when we look at your this IT modernization strategy, it's maybe harder to say, okay, what are the top priorities? So maybe break this down a little bit and say, which projects, which programs, what areas are you really focused on? And I know everything happens in parallel, so it can't be like you never do one thing and then you do another thing. Everything's always in the works. But are there two or three priorities you'd point to to say, if we can get something done by you know this time next year, that would be a, a, a super accomplishment? Expanding the number of self-service options that the public can use via our website, socialsecurity.gov, is a top priority. Over the summer, uh, we updated a portion of our website that relates to retirement benefits and retirement planning. Uh, we issued a press release uh, uh, around that update uh, and worked with advocates to make sure that the public was uh, aware of the 
information and services that were available for folks that are planning or approaching retirement age so that they could gather information about their benefit options and make informed choices. And that's going to be a continued focus, not just for retirement planning, but improving our our full website and making sure that folks can easily find the information they're looking for and complete their transaction uh, with as few clicks uh, and as as, uh, easy as possible. To do that, we need robust and secure authentication and authorization. Uh, We have put an emphasis on digital identity, uh, which is an enabler for online transactions. Uh, We've had some success in this area. Uh, We have a a secure MISO security portal uh, and currently uh, 52 million Americans, more than 52 million Americans have set up a personal MISO security account. So we want to continue to grow that make our authentication that enables that account access secure, but also convenient, and that more and more folks can continue to set up their personal MySocialSecurity account. We've also had a focus on improving um, our highest volume workload that drives folks into our field office. So many times folks want to have a document that says I'm receiving Social Security benefits or they need a Social Security number replacement card. We're keenly focused on making sure that there's options for uh, the public to get those documents or get a replacement card without having to visit a field office. And we've expanded a successful internet Social Security number replacement card service to almost all states nationwide. We, we do do a, a verification of state driver's license information as part of that transaction. So we are continuing to work with states to make sure that we can access their data as part of that transaction so that the public has the convenience of you know, requesting and receiving a Social Security, replacement, Social Security number replacement card from the the safety and comfort of their home uh, without having to call or visit Social Security. So I I think those are our key priorities, improving our service to the public, making sure that more self-service options are available, making sure that it's easy, convenient, and secure to register for a personal My Social Security account. And that is what we heard from all those stakeholders uh, that I mentioned when we updated our plan. Improve the service, help us access your uh, social security services more efficiently, and and that's where we're. All right, Sean, very good, appreciate the time. Uh, This has been a fascinating conversation. There's so much more to talk about that we're gonna have to have you on sooner than later again. But for now, we're done. So let me thank my guest, Sean Brune, the Deputy CIO for IT Modernization at the Social Security Administration. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing all the good work you guys are doing. Thank you, Jason. Have a good afternoon. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.
If you look around, there are so many ways to make a difference. At Capella University, our FlexPath format gives you a different way to earn your degree. Take courses at your speed. Move on whenever you're ready. Education should fit your life. Learn more at capella.edu.